A book is a garden, an orchard, a storehouse, a party, a company by the way, a counselor, a multitude of counselors. Charles Baudelaire. Guys, welcome back to another episode of Murph Morale. My name is Conrad Murphy. If you're new to the podcast on this episode, welcome. This is a podcast where I'm dishing out lessons learned. It's an audio journal for my life, how it's going so far, things that I find interesting, stuff like that. Maybe you'll get something out of it. Glad to have you. Welcome. And I've got a rant today, ladies and gentlemen. I have a rant, and I'll tell you what it is. Nobody reads books anymore. Nobody. Do you know how rare it is that I run into a person of my age, even rarer, that I run into another guy my age that enjoys reading books? It does not happen. The share of Americans who read for pleasure on a given day has fallen by more than 30% since 2004. And I get it. I get it. Books are expensive, even if we are able to find the time to read one. So, walk into Barnes & Noble one day and just see how many books you can buy with 100 bucks. It's not a lot. I typically can't get more than four with that amount. Some websites, you know, they sell books, used books, which are cheaper, which makes it a little better, but still, it's pricey. So do people not believe that they are worth the cost anymore? I know that there are way too many videos, blogs, podcasts, including this one, and articles about any possible topic on Earth, and we can largely look at all of that for free if you're in a developing country. So why buy and read books. Is reading for pleasure worth it anymore? Is it worth the cost of your money and your time? Is reading important anymore? An interesting question and one that I will answer with a resounding yes. And I'm going to tell you why today. So thanks for listening in. Let's get into it. So Magnus Carlsen, some of you may have heard of him. He is a world-renowned chess player. At the seasoned age of 14 years old, he defeated former chess champion Anatoly Karpov and drew a game against Garry Kasparov. You have got to go watch these videos on YouTube of him beating and drawing these guys. I mean, it's he's a child sitting there basically with a juice box just running all around them on the chessboard. You got to go watch it. I mean, I mean, the old guys, you know... They're studying chess their whole lives. They're sitting there in a suit and full tuxedo, basically, and they're getting destroyed by this kid. Carlson became a grandmaster not much longer at this time, still at the age of 14. FIDE, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, the governing body for international chess, declared him the number one chess player in the world in 2010 at the age of 19. Now, of course, this guy's gifted. It's not all hard work. It's not all studying. But this is a phenomenon, that being younger players getting better at chess, a phenomenon that is occurring lately. Good chess players are becoming younger and younger. Just recently, Abhimanyu Mishra became the world's youngest grandmaster in chess at the age of 12. Grandmaster, the highest title you can have. Now, why is this? First of all, you have to understand that chess is a very old game. They say that some form of it originated in India in the 7th century, so they're guessing that it has been around for about 1,500 years, and that means that people have been studying the strategy for chess for that long. 
There are many books written by influential players that discovered different lines of play, lines being the strategy. You can look up all the opening strategies that people have discovered and used. They have names like the Sicilian, the French opening, the London opening, the Carl Kahn, the Queen's Gambit declined, the Queen's Gambit accepted. And you have to remember that the game of chess has not changed over time. The way people have played it has, of course, but the game itself has not changed during that time. You have to give it certainly some credit that people still play this competitively. I mean, imagine if you're sitting around studying tic-tac-toe, it does not take you very long to realize that you can make every game into a tie if you wish. But chess is different. People can still win or lose games even though the strategy has been studied for over a millennium. But why are people like Carlson and Mishra getting so good at chess so quickly? The thing is, like books, chess strategy is available to all of these younger players. These kids are studying it at a young age and accumulating all of the past knowledge from these ancient chess players. Whenever back in the day Pope so-and-so wrote that ancient book about the whatever line of play in the 12th century, he probably didn't expect prepubescent children to fully grasp that knowledge, but it's happening. There's this collective buildup of knowledge about the game of chess that younger and younger players have access to. So if you watch some of these chess tournaments, you know, if you'll watch one or watch a highlight of one, you'll notice that sometimes the commentators will say at a certain point in the game, they'll say something like, and we have reached a new position in this line. And what they mean by that typically is that of all the games that have been stored across the computers, they have every move that has been played in a certain position. And it still happens all the time that players will be playing a game and they'll come across a new position that has never been played before. The, the way the chess pieces are oriented at their part in the game has never come across before in the computer's knowledge. But as time goes on, these moments, these situations come up over and over again. And so there's, there's just lines, there's less and less strategy, lines of play that have not been played before. And this is exactly what my perspective is regarding reading books. There's a wealth of knowledge hidden away in books, and the great thing is that someone has already come before you, they did their due diligence in collecting and compiling the information. You don't have to go research online and dig through what's valuable and what's not most of the time. All the work has already been done, You all you have to do is read the dang book. So, finding the time for reading is the toughest part, but it rewards you. And this is what I really like about it, is that a book will give you back precisely how much effort you put into it. Assuming you found the right book for you at the right time, you can't or you absolutely should not try to skip to the end to find out the ending like you would a movie or something. If you have to stop to do something around the house, if you got to study, attend to the family, the actual book does not continue going on while you're doing chores like a movie or show or whatever would. I mean, what, what kind of monster looks up the ending to a book online instead of reading it unless they're trying to cheat for school or something? It doesn't happen. The easiest way to find the time to read is just bring the book everywhere you go. Pick it off your nightstand and put it on the couch when you get up in the morning. Put it in your bag. Put it in your car if you go somewhere. 
bring it to the doctor's office. Put down your phone. Sharon didn't update her status when you last looked 41 seconds ago, and there's no new videos of batters charging the mound at baseball games that you haven't seen already. Bring the book. Read the book. But now, none of this will work if you have the wrong book. J.K. Rowling said it best when she said, if you don't like to read, you haven't found the right book. I would recommend that if you do not like to read, find something that you deal with on the daily. If you're into medicine, read some Atul Gawande or Abraham Verghese. If you have a job in business, need some leadership skills, read some Jocko Willink. An applicable book to your life is one that you will value most and one that you will most likely finish and enjoy. So, the other night, my wife and I were watching an incredible movie, by the way, on Netflix. It's called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Now, my wife already knew about this story, and some of you might already know it because it's a true story turned children's book turned movie. I was just catching up on the movie side. The screenplay for the movie is by Chuatel Ejiofor, the actor that played Solomon Northup from the great award-winning movie 12 Years a Slave. And it's about a family, specifically a boy in the family, in Malawi, Africa. Ejiofor plays Triwell Kamkwamba, the father of the family, and a farmer barely making enough to give his children an education. William Kamkwamba is the boy, the boy, the main part of the story at 13 years old. He's a bright boy that starts going to school but later is removed because his family is unable to pay the fees to go to school. I think they said it was around $80 a year. Now a drought hits the land and their ability to produce crops is completely diminished. They experience hardship after hardship. William, being the bright boy he is, sneaks back onto his school to find a book Related to capturing energy from the wind, he uses that book and his, of course, go-to attitude to create a makeshift windmill that powers a water pump that irrigates their crops so they can plant and harvest year-round rather than waiting for the right seasons to plant. And I mean, this, this windmill is made out of scrap, scrap metal and bike parts, essentially. But the thing is... He had the drive to help his village and his family. That That's not the problem. He just needed the knowledge, and he found it in a dusty technical manual on his school campus that he was not allowed to be at. William Kumquamba did not take education or books for granted like we do here in the United States. Now, I may not have convinced many of you yet, but I promise that as time goes on, and as we become more engrossed in our online avatars, our streaming services, our shallow cyber relationships, that books will only become more valuable. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wish I had an interesting and meaningful contribution in conversation with my peers? Or have you ever thought, I wish I could have a couple of the answers to what everyone around me has the questions for? Do you get tired of rehashing the same ill-informed newsflash headlines rather than understanding what the issues of the world really are? Now, you don't, everyone knows this, you don't have to go a mile in any direction to run into someone with very strong opinions on any possible subjects. But books help you understand why you believe in certain causes or why you back certain movements. Sometimes, books will even correct you. 
Books help you think for yourself. They will help you keep from swaying to whichever way the wind blows. They hold you down and they ground you when those that don't read are flapping around like a plastic bag in Tornado Alley. When you start to read, you'll notice this. When you start to read books, you'll find yourself in really interesting conversations with others. Everyone wants to know what you're reading. When I'm sitting somewhere and I see another person around me reading a book, I cannot help but ask them what is so interesting that it keeps them occupied in the midst of our incredibly, incredibly distracting world. Now, it won't happen overnight, but I promise you, if you start to read and keep it up, you will find that you like yourself more. You'll find that the opinions you express are backed by more than just your poor intuition. You will be a better listener, and you will speak well and thoughtfully when you respond because reading has shown you the value of patient observance. C.S. Lewis, a personal favorite author of mine, whenever he's discussing the Christian experience, he wrote, I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. In taking your life as a whole, with all the innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Now, I think of reading books in this same way that Lewis describes making choices, obviously not in so strong of a language, but you'll find that over time, what you really take from the stories you read are the different senses of character that come through the pages. You'll find that over time, you will start recognizing the attributes and traits in each character across so many different books. You'll see the relentless work ethic of Alexander Hamilton defending the U.S. Constitution. You'll see the integrity of James Comey in the midst of a presidential election, the compassion of David Knott while treating civilians in war-torn areas. You'll see the confidence of Elizabeth Bennett moving against the tide of British middle-class society. And this is what it means. This is what it means when George R. R. Martin says that a reader lives a thousand lives while the man who never reads lives only one. So, maybe there are a couple of you that actually want to give this a try. I've got a method that works for me that might work for you. It's been pretty successful for me if you don't have a reasonable way to read books and stick with it. First of all, of course, you have to find the right book. And this doesn't have to be hard. Just go find something that applies to you. Go out to a bookstore and pick up three actual paper books that look interesting to you. You know, the whole don't judge a book by its cover thing is usually not true in my experience. I judge the book by the cover, then I read a couple paragraphs and see if my judgment was grounded. All right, number two, read the book. Take it everywhere. Actually, actually read it and read it slowly. I want you to take a pen with you when you're reading and look for things that are remarkable to you while you're going through the pages. Anything. Mark it down in the margins, write comments in the margins, underline stuff, circle, go wild, anything that pops out at you. Now, once you finish the book, I want you to summarize it. Now, I know whenever I finish a great book, it sticks with me for a couple days. I can't help but think about it a few days later after I finished it. 
But inevitably, as you know, time passes, the majority of the material goes through your memory and it's gone. So to help combat that, whenever I finish a book that I want to remember, not all the books I read, whenever I finish a great book that I want to remember, I go back through the pages and I find all of my notes, all of my underlines and circles that I took, and I compile them into a Word document. They're my own personal little spark notes. I save a copy on my computer of the summary, and I print out a copy, and I fold it and put it inside the cover of the book. That way, when you want to remember this notable part in a book you read lately, you can refer to the summary page in the book rather than dig through hundreds of pages and find the stuff you thought was interesting. And then, best part, I file the book away into the bookshelf. It's the best part. I step back, I admire the collection like a proud dad, and I move on to the next one. So a couple last tips. Now, don't don't burn yourself out on the self-help stuff. You know, the books you see that are top sellers that have curse words on the front to attract your attention. Don't burn out on those. Take it with a grain of salt. Everyone believes that they have the cure-all to productivity but a lot of that, a lot of that is snake oil. Also, read some novels. Those are, they're enjoyable, they're fun. The best ones have really great language. A lot of the benefits I described above or earlier may sound like um, they only come from nonfiction, but really, fiction is, it really is just as valuable, so don't shy away from them. I'm going to include a couple books in the show notes that some of you may want to start out with, or some of you may find interesting if you're already a reader. I mostly read nonfiction, so you may have to branch out if there's not much on the list that you find interesting, but I tried to put a lot of different stuff on there. There's not These are not all my favorite books, but it's got a breadth of different kinds of books and topics that I enjoyed, so give it a try if you're interested. I'll put them in the show notes. And you know, I thought this may have been a silly topic to bring on the podcast, but I really believe that if you listen to podcasts, you're looking to learn something. And books really help you toward that goal. The truth is that the best way to stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before us is to read the words that they wrote, and I believe that 100%. Also, kind of a big announcement, not really, big for me. I set up an email to help facilitate some communication with you guys. If you guys have any comments, suggestions, if you have any remarks from the show, any tips, whatever, feel free to email me at murphmorale at gmail.com. I'll include it in the show notes as well. So, all right, you've got all you need. Get into those books and let me know what you pick up. I'm really looking forward to the next one. I'm enjoying the podcast, guys. I hope you are too. I don't know what's up next, but yeah, we'll find some stuff. So, yeah, get into those books. Let me know what you're reading. Let me know what's coming across your mind. Email me. If you guys have any tips or anything, yeah, looking forward to the next one. Take it easy, champs. I'll see you guys later.